The terror group that aspired to be an empire is now making its final stand in Syria. Along the Euphrates River in the east, the remnants of ISIS, once a formidable force, is besieged by Kurdish and Arab forces on the ground and US-led coalition warplanes from the air. Freelance cameraman Gabriel Shaheen filmed this exclusive and dramatic footage you'll see only on CNN. And we want to warn you first, some of it is graphic. Our Ben Wiedemann has the story. They're planning their next move in the final showdown with the last remnants of ISIS. Commander Havel Simko of the Syrian Democratic Forces is leading his men on a night operation. Their progress lit by flares into the last stronghold of what was the so-called Islamic State. Now reduced to a remote and ever-shrinking sliver of land along the Euphrates River in eastern Syria. At first light, coalition aircraft begin to bomb. As troops venture into the town of Susa, or what's left of it. With the help of artillery and airplanes, we were able to take control of this place, the soldier tells cameraman Gabriel Shaim, who shot this exclusive video for CNN. The soldier vows, within 10 days, God willing, we'll finish. It may take longer than that. ISIS isn't giving ground easily. They counterattack. Heavy machine gun fire didn't stop them. The troops had to retreat. By day's end, reinforcements arrived and they were back on the offensive. Not, however, without cost. The next day starts with a mortar bombardment. The adjacent town of Marajda, the objective. On the edge of town, a soldier carries a baby. The family follows. But the soldiers are wary. These last villages are full of ISIS's most hardcore supporters. Everyone is treated with suspicion. They order the young men to take off their shirts to show they're not concealing weapons or explosives. This family's next destination, one of many camps out in the desert, filling up with tens of thousands who have fled the fighting. Civilians want to escape to safety, says this soldier, but ISIS threatens them with their weapons to go back so the coalition airplanes won't hit them. Those who defied ISIS paid the ultimate price. Under these blankets, the soldiers say, are eight children and two women killed while trying to escape. The images too gruesome to show. The ISIS fighters did escape, leaving behind weapons. This episode was recorded in July of 2017. Chantel Taylor was co-hosting, and our guest is Joanna Palani. Uh, she's currently in prison in Denmark, 
as they have rules for Danish citizens going to the Middle East and fighting. Uh, in her situation, she is of Kurdish descent, so she went and joined on the Kurdish side as they fought against ISIS um, really since the beginning of, of ISIS rising and taking territory. And um, she's going to tell her story and, and walk through some of uh, what was going on up until that point of July of 2017. Global Giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with my co-host, uh, Chantel Taylor, former British Army combat medic. And we have a special guest on with us, Joanna Pilani. And then I'll let Joanna introduce herself to you guys. Uh, we're going to talk about some things that uh, she's been involved with in the last couple of years uh, in the fight against ISIS. Yeah, Joanna, you can go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you for that, and thanks for having me here. Um, hello, and my name is Joanna Palani. I'm a female fighter for the YPJ in Syria against IS and Jabhat al-Nusra, which is also known as Al-Qaeda here. Okay, so before we get into what you've been up to the past couple of years, can we talk just a little bit about your your background and then I want yes. to also I want to talk about uh, the Kurdish who are fighting against ISIS and and a little bit of their history, just so we can have a clear picture of what that is. Yes, my uh, family is originally from the western part of Iran, which is the southeastern part of Kurdistan. Uh, my family is from the uh, old and big city uh, called Kirmashah. Me myself, I was born in the UN camp. Uh, in the desert in Ramadi, outside of Baghdad, in Iraq, in 93. Um, as my family were fighting against the Islamic regime in Iran, the rest of my family, um, they left Iran, Kurdistan, to the Iraqi part, northern Iraq. And they stayed in Halabja in 88 and 89, between um, they got gas to death, 30 for my father's family. Some of my members, family members from my father's side, also got executed. Um, in Rumadi, I lost my brother as well. Uh, I'm myself in Syria fighting right now, though my family is from the Iranian part. Kurdistan has never been in one country itself um, and is developed in four parts now. One part goes to Turkey, one part to Syria another part to Iran, and the last part to Iraq. Um, there are different kinds of Kurdish groups, Kurdish groups which fight in that region. The, tra the three big ones uh, which are known is the PKK slash YPG, and the other one is the PUK, Peshmergas, which is more allied with Iran, and then you have the KDP, Peshmergas, which is those who are in charge of Northern Iraq right now, serving for the president of North Kurdistan, Barzani, they serve or are allied with Turkey. So this means we have three different Kurdish armed groups which fight each other, directly and indirectly, though we have common enemies. So it's not a situation that is as clear-cut as people might assume, uh, especially here in the West. No, not at all. Um, especially when you see the news in the West, you might think it's cursed against IS. 
But it's it's not like that only. We also have curse against Kurds who fights IS. Just um, recently, a few months ago and and a few weeks ago, we have two of our fighters uh, in Shingal, which is the area in northern in Iraq where the sex slaves were captured and held by IS. We have two of those fighters from the from the PKK from the mountains. They got killed by Kurdish forces, Peshmerga forces from the KDP. And this is not out in the in the news, you know, outside. And this is not because we want to talk about the fights we have in between, but it's just to give a realistic view of the situation here. And also, just to go back, um, Joanna, is that the way that you spoke of, um, you know, where you were born and your upbringing, you know, that's, you put, it, you put it so eloquently, but that's actually quite, a, you know, that's a huge, um, a huge part of your life that was actually pretty harrowing, you know, to say you lost, you know, I remember reading these things on the news, I've spent some time in the north of Iraq, and, you know, you just, it's, it's, it's kind of, when people, because we've been desensitized, you know, when you speak of it the way that you do, you know, it's, that's quite possibly the worst thing that could happen to anyone, you know, with family members being gassed, executed, and at that time during the regime, that was kind of the norm. You know, people would come home and their fathers would be, you know, killed on the doorstep. Yes, and the reason why I lost my brother was because my father was a Peshmerga. He worked with Americans. Wow. From the UN camp, the UN camp was named Al Tash. I don't know if one of you noticed, but there's a lot of stories there. And there were two ways from the camp to school, and one of the way goes from the Americans safely. And the other one is going through the Ba'ath Party soldiers. I believe you know what the Ba'ath yeah. Party is. Yes, yes. Saddam's, and, um, exactly. Yeah. And when when um, when the kids were going to school, one of us will go ahead, like a couple of meters ahead of the others, with a pin. Each time, just one, and. When the person have gone a lot of meters and he hadn't been blown up by a mine or ID, we others or the others were followed. And wow. Well, one day it wasn't just such a, such a good day. Yeah, I'm sorry. That that's really you know really sad story. And if anything's going to drive you to the life that you've chosen, that to me makes- I, I I do think about that and I'm so sorry for interrupt you. No, not at all. No. But I remember before coming to Denmark, before I was three years old, I remember sitting in Romadi in the desert, trying to wake up my father to ask him if I had chosen this life or life had chosen me. Just referring to what you were saying. I didn't take death as a hard thing before. And I honestly don't even anymore at all but i take life more precious than before i do that yeah and that that's not uncommon in, in all soldiers actually joanna that people when and it doesn't sort of matter the amount of death that you've seen you do you do come to appreciate life a lot more don't you and life is precious ma'am correct me if i'm wrong but those times i have been close to death I never regretted the things that I have done in life. Trust me that, and I have been doing a lot of messed up things. I never regretted them. I regret those things I never 
did, you know, never fulfilled. Yeah. They were like dreams, like ghosts next to me saying, now we're going with you to death because you never brought us to life. And that made me realize, you know, life is worth dying for, but it should be lived before. Well, hopefully, um, with the way that the world is, that, you know, you get your chance. I don't know, ma'am. I think I, you are a medic, so you yeah. probably can hear the sound of my voice that I have been in this for too long. Yeah, I think so. so. We, I'm just trying to be politically oh, no, correct. I know. My yeah, own, I, the thing I try to say I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm being uh, marked by war. But you, you still but, got an awful lot to offer, so don't be going anywhere just yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so Joanna, now kind of fast forwarding a little bit. Um, so now you've been involved in the fighting over there uh, for how long now? Yes, my first time was in 2011 in Aleppo for the big battle for Aleppo when the civil war started. YPG was even wasn't even created back then, and when we created YPG, our clothes were black, and our flag was red, like the flag from Vietnam with the yellow star. And we made that mistake. So the YPG got changed to the yellow flag, as you guys know it now. And the clothes were changed to normal uh, digital military combat clothes and uniforms instead of the guerrilla PKK uniforms we had before, the black ones as well. And this is my first battle from 2011 to 2012. I returned back to Europe and for the big battle for Kobani, I went there again. Um, that was in 2014. 2015, I returned. Um, and 2016, I again went to the battle for Membich, where I worked with the Americans and the British Special Forces and the American combat medics as well. Um, so, uh, how was that? How were they? With, did they? Did they? Were they generous with their kit? Oh, uh, the Americans are the British one. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, usually the Americans are more generous because I've. I've been, uh, <laughs> At the receiving end of their kit, so <laughs> they're usually more forthcoming with their kit, to be honest. Is this going to be published? Because I need to think about how I'm going to say what I'm going to say before my commander reads it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't want it in there, you don't have to. Have well, it. no, no, no. I'm, I'll, let me just be honest. Well, yeah. I must say both of them are very brave. Uh, the British Special Force for two nights, they just went from wall to wall to wall, from house to house, because we couldn't go through the, street, uh, go through the streets as there was many mines and IDs. So we went just like making holes to the wall and went to another wall and making holes to get closer to IS. And, you know, one would think when you have broken down like almost 15 walls down, <laughs> that you would be tired. Yeah, but the hunger for justice and liberty in their eyes. Well, they, it keep them going, and to see someone coming across the other part of the world to save you. You know, they don't know your face, they don't know your name. As you know, honestly, it's an honor to have been working and fighting against IS with the Americans and with this pretty special force. It has been great work and I really do hope it will continue, especially now where Turkey is kind of pressing and, you know, now to end the Americans for working with us so closely 
it is very important for us, you know, the world outside sees us as we are and not from what Turkey says, because they want to link us with the PKK as terrorists. Right. And, you know, and, and that's why I think it's important that we uh, differentiate between the different groups so that people can understand. Because when you say, you know, if you hear all oh, the Kurds are fighting against ISIS or the Kurds are fighting against uh, government troops in Syria or in Aleppo or whatever, uh, people assume that the Kurds uh, fall under the same banner uh, because they're yes. Kurdish. But, you know, it's, it's very different. It's very complicated. And not too many people understand that. Um, so I think it's important that we make those uh those distinctions. So, you know, the Kurdish, the Kurdish people, we have over 400 parties, but we don't even have one state. Right. <laughs> they, because of, since World War One, um, <clears throat> since World War One, you know, Kurdistan have been under a lot of pressure. They, we've been cut from each other. They put a border between uh, us, so the Kurds in Turkey, um, their language and you know the culture, the Kurdish clothes, all of that got banded, and so they made an uprising and a revolution, and they were fighting. And because of Turkey is such a great power, uh, and I think they are not so second or third greatest army, if I'm right. Um, so they have a lot of technology ahead of them than what the Kurds have in the mountains, like the PKK. So instead of fighting them directly always, the PKK went to, you know, the mountains in Iraq where the Peshmerga are. And Turkey got mad and said to the Kurds in Iraq, you have too many groups in one area. If all of you fight, fight the PKK, I'll make sure you can sell your oil to the Western country, countries through my ground, Turkey. So the KDP, Peshmerga, says to Turkey, if you, we can sell our oil from Kedekuk, um to the Western country and Europe, we will fight PKK, though the PKK and YPG whatsoever fights IS. So even though a few weeks ago we have Peshmerga and the PKK, YPG as well, walking shoulder to shoulder talking about is being you know pure evil the next day the pkk will got shot by the peshmerga because he was told to so this is the reality re reality this is not like kurdistan against is this is you know right and and, and people just see like i said before you know they see the, the kurds all oh, the kurds all together fighting ISIS and, you know, the Iraqis are, are fighting ISIS and, and the Americans and the British and the French and everything. And um, it's a very complicated situation. And I think if people, in the at least in the West, they really want to understand what's happening there, you really have to look at the history of the region and, and the history of these different groups. Definitely. And, and definitely. Then, then you understand the motivations and why people are, you know, siding where they side, you know? Yes, exactly. Um I, I, I could never go to the PYK Peshmergas, though they are allied with us and not the KDP Peshmergas, because they are against the Peshmergas in Iran, which my family belongs to. I so here's the tricky part for me, even with my background, though I am a pro Abdullah Ujilan, I'm a YPJ, have been, I have been that since the beginning. So I'm one of the old ones now. 
well, though I'm with them, I'm one of the anarchists, as they call it. Uh, my family is, you know, Peshmergas, Barzanis. They are KDP Peshmergas. They are allied with Turkey, which kills my friends, which just bombed half of my unit. So this is also, you know, why there's so much hatred witnessing the Kurdish people. Like You could tell, I could tell you, uh, and the world who the Kurds are, but I can't tell a Kurd who he is. He won't accept it. Right. Right. And it's it's what makes the, the, the fighting in that region so complicated because it isn't as simple as, you know, we're us and you're you and, you know, we fight and the winners, you know. So it's very complicated. And what people don't understand is even after ISIS falls, is it's going to be a complicated situation, still volatile, and, and there's still going to be fighting taking place, <clears throat> potentially even worse <clears throat> than the fighting against ISIS, you know? Yes. Well, uh, honestly, the fight uh, with ISIS, well, it has been hard because we didn't have anything to do with. Um, even in the battle against them in Kobani, we didn't have emissions, and we asked, politely, the U.S. to provide us, and they did. So, uh, but when IS is gone, another man, a young boy with a uniform is going to show up with a different flag, right? maybe with a different ideology, but it won't stop us to maintain the line between evil and the rest of the world. Right, and, and, and that's why it's so important, uh, you know, what you guys are doing, because it like people don't understand again you know i have to reiterate it is is it's an ideology as well aside from having all of these different uh groups and in this kind of very fluid situation um and and that's that's part of the issue is you know isis the 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 ideology behind it really kind of came about in um in uh in iraq in the early days yes true and I can, I'm going blank on the guy's name right now. Uh, Chantal, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I was, oh, whoa, whoa, sorry, whoa. I was. Cut. Yeah, well, no, no. I'm I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, what the fuck is his name? His name. <laughs> he was the leader of Al Qaeda in Iraq, and and then they killed him in 2006. Um, Al Waki. No, that's not Al Waki. No. No, no. Hold on. Oh. I'm on Google. Hold on. I, I should know this. I'm just going blank right now. Okay, uh, Abu Musab Al Zakari. He was a um, oh Al Zakari, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, open off heads, yeah. Right. So he he was a, a Jordanian. Um, went to Afghanistan. Did a little bit of fighting there. I think he he got there a little bit late. Um, uh, he was locked up by the um, the Jordanian intelligence agency, and then they let him out for some reason a couple of years later and um and then he he moved into Iraq and you know the US invaded and then all that kind of happened but he was killed in 2006 but what's interesting enough is that he his ideology was was bumping heads with uh bin Laden Osama bin Laden's al-Qaeda uh strategy which they had was that they wanted to unify Muslims against the west and and his strategy was to uh, ignited civil war between Sunni and Shia Muslims, and it, it actually worked, and it really threw um, Iraq into a, into a huge chaos. And um, 
his his followers and his subordinates are the people who are leading ISIS today. Just for you know, people who didn't know a little bit of history there. I want to take a minute to talk to you about our sponsor for this week's podcast, War Dragons. War Dragons is a real-time strategy video game, and you can play it right on your phone. With over 150 different dragons to breed, each has different attack styles and abilities. The month of July is the month of our independence. War Dragons is partnering with Stack Up, an organization dedicated to bringing military personnel, military veterans, and civilians together through a shared love of video gaming. War Dragons will match all donations made through the link in-game between July 4th through July 31st, up to a maximum of $10,000. Donors will also get an in-game portrait. If you can't donate but you want to support Stack Up's work, Breeding Your Dragons in-game can also help contribute an additional $10,000 donation by War Dragons. Download War Dragons. Visit podcast.wardragons.com slash recon on your phone or tablet for more details on how to participate. That's podcast.wardragons.com slash recon. Now we'll get back to the podcast with Joanna Polani. Uh, back in... Yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. It's just like I, when ISIS started back in Iraq, um, back in the old days, they did... Uh, they did some good stuff, as some Iraqi says I heard. Um, they tried to show the government was on the wrong side, but they didn't show the people that where they will become. And even when they are gone again, another group will come. I think that's the point as well. As what happens is most most people that start start these sorts of things off, they start off with a really different intention to where they end up and what happens. Exactly. You get criminal bodies, you know, everyone and their dog sort of joins in. And like clearly with Zakawi, they, they see a vacuum, they fill it with hate and right. then it just morphs into this hideous beast. And and that's obviously where we find ourselves now. But like more in, in your role specifically, Joanna, you've been, you know, I know we're sort of, because we've gone on a, a bit about, you know, the how this all began, but your role is so interesting because you're kind of, you're out there and you're going against the grain. You know, I don't want to point out the obvious that you're a woman, but yes. you're a sniper. You're a sniper too, and, and a sabotage. That, and although although that's kind of um, to you, that's completely normal now. But to everyone else, that's not normal. So what what you know? How, tell us a bit about that. How does how does somebody you know of, like you become a sniper? How did that happen? I don't know if I had become a sniper <laughs> if I wasn't born in a UN camp in the desert in a war area and region. I don't know if I become a sabotage if I had seen so many people being burned and blown up. I don't know if I become this woman and fighter if I had the background as I have. But I do know that while sitting on the couch eating my, what is it, my chocolate and, you know, writing my school papers, I watched the news and just to see other females, other women and girls, not just being looked at as object and not just being used as object, but being tortured for it. I 
I somehow felt Romadi again when they circumcised our girls and when they sold our girls to from Jordan to Egypt. Um, and they sold 30,000 Kurdish girls from that area, actually. Uh, and it's Those just... incredible, aren't they? Those numbers don't even... There, the contract is on actually on Google. It's like it went worldwide in the Middle East for some time. For some time, but it just when I saw these things in the news, I remember when my aunt went through. I remember when my mother was hiding me and my sister because you know the bad fighters soldiers were coming. You know the Saddam's uh, soldiers were coming, and we were afraid that they will. My mom and father, you know, they were afraid they would take me and my sister as well. They have taken others. Yeah. And we didn't even know if we would be taken for that. Sometimes when people being locked in the trucks and taken away, we thought they were going to Europe because everybody was there in the camp for going to somewhere safe. Yeah. But sometimes they were going to another place. And my father actually told me years later when we were in Denmark that they were being buried alive. And I think they found some mass graves outside. Few, wow. A few years after Iraq was liberated from Saddam. Um, about this whole how I choose to be a sniper. Um, I was a sabotage for years witnessing the YPG uh, and this party. And I just got tired um, of always using my brain. I wanted to be more, you know, people saw soldiers as those who use the body physically so much. And I want to yeah. feel that, you know, leave from my body that I can feel it physically, you know, yeah. uh, the blood running through your veins and, you know, the, well, that the tension for to, to be outside, to feel it directly one bullet by one, to look at the enemy in the eye. That was something different than to go to ISIS area in, you know, in a, uniform or with a burqa pretending to be a Muslim woman and bomb a building where they are or a spot for them, you know, which we do in our units. This, these things become more and more and how do you say, I wanted to try something else. I wanted to go deeper and more large in this environment, in this fight. Yeah, um, to be involved. Yeah. But I didn't know the cost of it, I must say. And uh, thinking about like, thinking about the cost now, because you have, you know, before, I, and I remember the articles about you in the press and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and sometimes it's as, as bad as it is to say is, you know, that's a, that's a heavy price to pay, isn't it? Because although it's almost like you've put yourself there, you still have to, you still have to try and maintain some form of life. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of the articles, um, Joanna, what was it uh, last year or, or earlier this year? There was an article going around talking about a Kurdish woman who who killed a hundred ISIS fighters as a sniper, and then there was some controversy with uh, with that article and then articles that were written afterwards responding to it. And part of why you wanted to come on here is well, so people can hear from you directly on that specific situation. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. So I have done some few articles, uh, though it looks like I have done tons. Um, 
when I do an article, I don't know why uh, it just go goes worldwide and it just go from one news channel to another one, from one news site to another one, and slowly the story gets changed. Um, I I made yes. That's true of the media, by the way. That's for the and I get that too. So. Yes. And the thing is, I don't think that's going to change because the media, they do manipulate things. And right. You could say one thing, have one meaning, and it'll come across completely different. Right, when it gets published. Like, wow, I didn't yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, Joanne. Well, the thing is that, um, as I told you guys, there are different Kurdish parties who sometimes on and off fight each other um, and kills each other instead of uh, ISIS or a similar threat to them both. And last, well, earlier this year, actually, I think it was in February, um, Daily Mail made an article with me. And it just got world spread worldwide and people took the words out of context. Um, the journalist from Daily Mail asked me, is, as anyone can read in the, the new, uh, in the article, he asked me the amounts of kills and so have other journalists asked me before. And and I, I always say, as a YPJ, it is forbidden for me to say the amount of kills. Because in our ideology, it is shameful to take a life and brag about it and to even mention it. And so, and everyone could read this. It was my words, but I just didn't know the journalists were going behind my back and talking with my units and former units and com uh, commanders, and one of them told this journalist that I have killed 100. I have never ever in my entire life said that I even killed one person. And I will never do so. Um, so this person said this. Why this person said this? I don't know why, but it must be by because of propaganda. Um, so the journalist writes, Joanna doesn't want to say blah, 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 the amounts of kills, but her former commander, a high former commander or something like that, high rank commander, which is a former her, in her unit says that Joanna have killed 100 persons, uh, ISIS militants. And I never said that. And I didn't know the journalist asked my commander and units about these things. I didn't know before it was published. And I went back, as I said, from the battle for Membich in October last year. In December, I got into prison um, in Denmark's largest prison uh, in isolation, where there were all, also other Islamic fighters. And they will charge me, um, and I'm going to court next month, and they might charge me with many years. There's a lot of things in my court case as which the news doesn't know about. Um, as I told you, this is not a chapter in my life. This is, has been my entire life and will be my entire life. Right, and, and, and we have a, a mutual friend um, who we won't name, but he is a, uh, a former American special operations guy and... and um, you know, and he approached me asking me if, if we could talk about this and get your side of the story out uh, versus just 
having you know people talk about you and and not hearing from you directly so that's why you know I wanted you to come on and 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 on top of that you know it's I think it's it's empowering for women to hear about women like yourself and obviously Chantel uh, for all she's accomplished in, in her career in, in the British military. Yes, indeed. Right. She's a role model herself. It, it just, I just want to say that I'm, we live in a time which one day will be history. We will look back at it. And if I'm there that day to look back at history, I want to say that I did the good. I was on the right side. And just to wearing a uniform, holding a weapon does not mean you're on the right side. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I want to thank you for taking out the time to come on here. I know that uh, you, everything you guys are doing is really busy over there. Um, and and like I said, I just want to thank you for taking out the time to come on here. Um, and, uh, and, and thank you for everything that you're doing. <laughs>